Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Herman Ponser. Herman Ponser, PhD, is an Associate Professor of Evolutionary Anthropology and Research Associate Professor of Global Health at Duke University. He investigates how our species' evolutionary past shapes our lives today. Herman's team conducted the first measurements of daily energy expenditure in traditional hunter-gatherers and in non-human apes, with findings that have challenged the way we think about diet, exercise, metabolism, and health. Dr. Ponser's new book, Burn, New Research Blows the Lid Off How We Really Burn Calories, Lose Weight, and Stay Healthy, was published in March of 2021. In the episode, he shares why eat less, exercise more is flawed advice for fat loss, what we should be relying on besides exercise for weight loss and maintenance, a new and improved TV show structure that work better than The Biggest Loser, and more. But before we hear from Herman, I want to take a minute to share one of my absolute favorite resources with you, thrivemarket.com. I used to think that eating healthy meant I had to spend a lot of time and money at the grocery store until I discovered Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online grocery shopping platform that's essentially a mix of Costco, Whole Foods, and Amazon. Since Thrive doesn't have any brick and mortar stores, I can conveniently order fridge, freezer, and pantry staples from the comfort of my home in just a few quick clicks on their website or app. And since Thrive cuts out all the middle people, everything they sell is heavily discounted. When I order on Thrive versus going to my local supermarket, I save at least $20 per grocery haul. And did I mention I can shop from my couch? To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash thrivemarket, or just click through the link in the show notes. One more thing, if you've been on a weight loss roller coaster for years, trying everything from keto to Weight Watchers to exercising a ton to detoxing from sugar, but nothing has worked. I'm so happy we've connected. Outside of hosting this podcast, I help health-motivated individuals lose weight for good without giving up carbs, eating clean 24-7, exercising a ton, or other nonsense. Unlike extreme approaches that compromise your physical and mental well-being and suck all the fun out of date nights and happy hours, I help you lose 5 to 50 pounds for the last time so you can start living your best life as the trimmest, healthiest, most confident, most energized version of yourself. To learn more, visit thehealthinvestment.com or connect with me on Instagram at the health investment. And please don't hesitate to reach out with any questions. I'd love to hear from you. All right, it's time to hear from Herman. Enjoy. I'm Brooke Simonson, 
certified nutrition coach, and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Herman. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm excited to be here. I was just saying, I mean, you have been everywhere. I feel like I can't open Instagram or the New York Times or (laughs) anything these days, probably in the circle I'm in as well, of the doctors and researchers who follow you. Just your name is popping up everywhere. So I feel so grateful to be able to speak with you one-on-one today. Well, thanks for that. You know, uh, most scientists, myself included, you know, you only kind of, it's, it's like a, you're like some kind of sea mammal. You only surface occasionally, you know, and get a breath of fresh air. So most of the time you're in the dark uh, <laughs> looking for looking for fish. Um, so yeah, it's fun to be up uh, at the surface and talking with you. Yeah, awesome. I know you are really getting a lot of fresh air these days. So that, <laughs> that's super exciting and so well-deserved, I think. Um, but yeah, if you could just share, I guess, your background and kind of what led you to the research that's been recently published that you're doing today. Yeah. So um, I grew up in rural Pennsylvania and in the sticks and didn't have any idea what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, I went to college at Penn State and and still didn't have any idea what I wanted to do with my life. And I took (laughs) a a human evolution seminar um, and it totally blew my mind because it was just a total sea change in how I looked at the world and how I looked at myself um, and other people. And, you know, it was just really eye-opening to have this kind of evolutionary perspective, deep time perspective, um, cross-cultural perspective for that matter on what it means to be a human, you know, on this planet and, uh, and just kind of understand our whole existence from an evolutionary perspective. So, uh, I loved it. I, my mind was officially blown. And, um, and when I realized that you could do this for a living, I didn't know any professors growing up. Um, but when I found out why you can do this for a living, that's kind of amazing. Uh, and it didn't seem like anything else that was worth trying to do. So I've been trying to do this since then. Um, and studying how the human body evolved and, and how our, that evolutionary legacy, that past shapes the way our bodies work today. Um, focusing on energy expenditure because that's so vital and so sort of in, integral to all of it. Um, I went to grad school at Harvard, uh, which was amazing. And, you know, bounced around a couple of academic jobs. And now I'm here at Duke um, studying people and and other primates and and trying to make sense of it. Wow. That's so cool that you realized in college that something sparked your attention and that you could make a career out of that. Because Mm. I feel like that didn't happen to me. I feel like a lot of people my age, I'm in my mid-30s, it was kind of like you choose, uh, you know, doctor, lawyer, teacher. And I think kids now are realizing there's so many different career paths you can do. Um, But that's awesome that you figured that out so early on. And then it seems like you've been able to really pursue your passion all these years. Yeah. I mean, my parents were both high school teachers, wonderful people and uh, English teachers. And so, you know, they loved, they loved ideas and they loved Mm -hmm. groups. I'm sorry about that. 
No worries. Got a ding. Anyway, my parents are both uh, high school teachers and, you know, the life of the mind was a big thing for them, even though we were in this sort of very rural part of uh, Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, there was never any pressure that I was going to have to be a doctor or a lawyer or any of the cookie cutter things. Mm. And if you are passionate about that and you're doing that, we love you. And that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And thank God for that. But, uh, you know, um, for me, uh, there was no pressure to do any of that. And so it was kind of, I went to college really with an open mind. And if I had any advice to, to people either coming into college, I, I teach a lot of college freshmen or their parents, I would say, you know, relax. If you've got, if you've made ideas and, you know, and, and kind of being a part of your community uh, in, in important ways, integral ways, if you've made that important to your kids growing up, they'll find a good path when they get to college, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, so your recent work is on energy expenditure. And I think mm. what you're saying is kind of turning what we've all believed for years and years and years upside down. Could you explain, first of all, just what energy expenditure means? And is it different from metabolism or are they the same no. thing? So metabolism, let's start there. So metabolism is all the work your cells do, um, you know, day in and day out. So you've got 37 trillion cells and each one of those cells is like a little factory and it, it pulls in, you know, raw materials from the, the food you eat uh, and it, chops those materials up and makes hormones or proteins or whatever. It makes, makes different things, um, sends those out into the rest of your body or, or use it to build itself. Anyway, the work of those little factories, that's your metabolism. And we can measure the stuff that they make. So there are people, scientists who study, you know, the, the products that your cells make, we call those uh, metabolomics studies, mm-hmm. or we could study, the, all that work by measuring how much energy is consumed. Because just like a factory, for your cells to do that work, they need energy, right? You can't do work mm-hmm. for free. And so energy expenditure then is one way of measuring metabolism. And so those two words kind of get used interchangeably, metabolism and energy expenditure, because they're really, you know, work and energy are, are two sides of the same uh, two sides of the same phenomenon. And so, yeah, so, you know, all the work your body does all day, every day, is your metabolism, and we can measure that as energy expenditure. Okay. So then before your research, what was previously believed about metabolism and energy expenditure? Yeah. So um, first of all, the science of of metabolism isn't as old as some of the other sciences. You know, physics is older, mathematics is much older, even most chemistry is older. Uh, We didn't have any way of measuring energy expenditure until sort of the 1800s. Um, and then once we got good at that, scientists got good at measuring energy expenditure, they were still limited to measuring it, uh, in a kind of laboratory setting. So what they would do is people figured out in the 1800s that when your body burns calories, it's very similar. In fact, it's chemically identical basically to, uh, to a fire that's burning, right? And just like a, a fire that's burning consumes oxygen and gives off carbon dioxide and other things in the smoke your body consumes oxygen and gives off carbon dioxide. And so they people figured out that if they measured your breath, right, they measured how much oxygen you consume and how much uh, CO2 you breathe out, they got a measure of how many calories you're burning, how much energy you're burning. But they had to do it in a setting where they could really kind of keep you in one place and put a mask on you or put a, you know, a hood over your head to, to measure your breathing. And that's all we had 
variations on that idea until the 1980s. So all what everybody thinks they know, the received wisdom of energy expenditure, really all goes back to those early 1900 studies of people, you know, laying on a bed or sitting in a chair or later, you know, maybe walking on a treadmill and measuring energy expenditure in those very artificial laboratory settings. Um, now, we learned a lot from that work. That's like the fundamental, that's the foundation of all the stuff I do. And mm-hmm. we still do those kind of measurements in my lab today. We still, you know, if you come in, we want to measure your resting energy expenditure. We'll do that. We'll have you you'll lay on a, the exam bed and you'll we'll either put a hood over your head or a mask on your face to measure it breath by breath. And, and we'll do that. But that's only a portion of your total expenditure, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the whole picture. But because we didn't have anything better, um, a whole idea, a whole, whole sort of, um, I don't know, culture of metabolism and what metabolism is and what it means kind of grew up around these very limited data. Um, and people thought they knew a lot more than they did. And what they thought they knew was this. They thought they knew um, that, of course, you have to, your, your body is burning calories all day, kind of behind uh, you know, the, the maintenance work that your body does. It burns calories all day. That, that's true. That's, that's very true. And that on top of that, they can just figure out, well, how active are you every day? And, and just add that on top, because we know the energy cost of walking or the energy cost of jogging or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we can just kind of cobble together, add up all those things. And that's how many calories you burn every day, totally mm-hmm. in, your, in your normal daily life. And that is the received wisdom. And that's what everybody was sure they knew. Um, and that's what we've been able to kind of poke holes in the last couple of decades as we've had this new technique that allows us to measure energy expenditure over a full 24 hours. Okay. And so then what then you're saying poke holes in it. So what is the new, yeah. what are the new findings that you've figured yeah. out? So, um, so right. So what we figured out was this, uh, well, let, I'll tell you the story about how kind of how we came across it and, it and it sort of, I think highlights what we figured out. Um, that perspective, the old perspective that if I know your resting meta- metabolic rate, sometimes you just call your basal metabolic rate, and I know how active you are, I can put those two together and I can figure out how many calories you burn every day. That's the old perspective. Um, and it makes a really obvious prediction, which is that people who are more physically active should burn a lot more calories, right? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And yeah. so we went and um, as part of my work you know, in anthropology, we went to, to study um, a hunting and gathering community in Northern Tanzania. And that's because you know, somebody with my perspective, I, I wanted to know how our bodies function in a hunting and gathering lifestyle. I mean, the, the, these hunter-gatherer population, this, it's, it's the hot of the population. They're as modern as you and me in terms of, you know, they're modern humans. We're all one, one species. Uh, but because they've held on to those old traditions, right, they are an opportunity to, to, to ask the question, if you grow up as a hunter-gatherer, you live as a hunter-gatherer, what is your body, how does your body function? Hmm. So we went there. We measured energy expenditures with this, you know, gold standard technique, uh, this isotope tracking technique. Um, and the men and women there, you know, they get, they get more physical activity in a day than most people get in the U.S. and the Europe you know, <laughs> in a week. You know, it's a ton. Mm-hmm. They, men wake up every day and go and hunt wild game with a bow and arrow. Women wake up uh, and go and, and, and dig wild tubers out of the ground with digging sticks or go collect berries, Right. They live in grass. You know, there's no electricity, no machines, no vehicles. So it's, it's a very tr- traditional lifestyle. And we were sure they would have these extraordinarily high 
energy expenditures because they're so physically active. But the surprise was that we got home, we did the analysis. They burn the same number of calories every day as men and women in the US, in Europe, and other industrialized countries. So even though they're much more physically active, five times more physically active, uh, they are not burning more energy. And that was the kind of aha moment for me. There have been other studies from other labs around this area too. But for me, that was the eye opener that your body is doing some interesting things kind of under the surface, under the hood, um, to adjust to lifestyle in ways that, that the, the old way of thinking about energy expenditure doesn't, doesn't capture. Were you predicting that at all, or was that just a complete shock and you Total had no shock. idea? I mean, <laughs> okay. you know, we, so like, so the way that science works, uh, is, you know, if, if you're doing anything that, that costs money and most science, you know, costs a lot of money, um, you have to write research proposals and you write them, these research proposals to different granting agencies, either perhaps like the NIH or the National Science Foundation or other, other granting agencies. And your idea for your project gets read by other scientists and they basically grade it. You know, this is a great idea. You should fund it. Or they say, this is a terrible idea. Don't bother. Um, and so it has to get through that review process and it's a long process to get funding. It was for us for that work. And the whole time, all of that grant proposal that we wrote to initially do the work was completely based on this idea that they're going to have really high expenditures. So we, we basically, we were sure, we were sure they'd have high expenditures. Um, and all the reviewers were sure too. In fact, the reviewers almost didn't fund us. They almost didn't suggest us for funding because they thought, ah, what's the point? We know right. that we know the answer. The answer is going to be, they have high expenditures. This is boring. Uh, yeah. You know? Uh, and so thankfully people saw the value in it and, and we did it. Um, and, and we're surprised because of course that, that's the best thing that can happen to a scientist is to be surprised. Uh, and you know, um, well, that, that, that has really set the course for my research the last 10 years or so is kind of trying to understand um, what we didn't understand before, which is how activity and other aspects of our lifestyle um, affect the way that our bodies burn calories. What is the average expenditure, energy expenditure for just an average adult? Yeah, in the U.S., so it's, yeah. it has, you know, it's, it has a lot to do with body size. Bigger people burn more calories, but on average... Uh, your your average American woman's going to burn about 2,400 kilocalories a day. Your average mm-hmm. American man's going to burn closer to 3,000 kilocalories a day. And it's and the same with the Hadza. Actually, they burn less <laughs> because uh, uh, because they're 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 shorter. They, they're uh, oh, smaller body it. size. Okay. Uh, so actually, if you just look at just the numbers, you, you would be shocked to learn that not only do they not have higher expenditures, they have lower expenditures. Uh, <laughs> but you have to obviously when we do these analyses. Um, we account for body size because, you know, you know, back to the idea that metabolism is all your cells at work all day. If you're bigger, you have more cells. Just from that alone, you'll, you'll burn more calories. So in any of these analyses, we have to control for body size. So common, uh, you know, an adage is sort of eat less, exercise more. Mm-hmm. And you're really debunking that. So why does the body not burn more calories when you exercise? Yeah. So. Uh, first I'll say the, the exercise more part of that sounds great to me. I'm, I'm on team exercise. I, yeah. uh, uh, it's really good for you. And, and none of the work that we're talking about, uh, says anything different, but it's different. It's good for you in ways that, that we didn't appreciate before, before. So exercise, you know, causes your body to burn energy on that exercise, but you know, your muscles burn those calories. 
And what seems to happen is your body responds to that by spending less energy on other stuff. Hmm. Um, and it doesn't happen right away. And it doesn't happen, you know, it is uh, what I'm not saying. You know, I'm not saying that if you run a marathon today and you sit on the couch tomorrow, that your energy expenditure both days will be the same. Of course not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is that your body is kind of keeping track to a sort of long-term lifestyle signal. How active are you on average day to day? Your body seems to be paying attention to that. And if you increase your energy, your, your activity level, uh, you know, consistently um, and long-term, then after a couple of months of this, your body goes, oh, wait a second. If I can, you know, give our, give our, our bodies uh, a voice for a moment, your body goes, uh, you're more active now. So we're going to spend less energy on other things. So uh, we know that uh, people who exercise a lot have lower inflammation levels. We know that they have lower, a, a, a smaller reaction to stress. They have um, reproductive hormone levels, testosterone or estrogen in men or women that are in, in a healthier range right? Not sky high, like they can be in really sedentary people. And all of those reductions, we think, are making room, basically, for, for that larger, larger amount of, of, of energy spent on activity. And those adjustments are good for you, right? You, inflammation is bad, so you want to have less inflammation. Stress, high levels of stress, cortisol, uh, adrenaline, those are bad for you if it's all the time every day. And so you want less of that, you know? Um, reproductive hormone levels in a, in a healthier range mean you're less likely to get reproductive cancers. And so the, there are these adjustments your body's making, we think, to exercise uh, that seem that, that are that are causing this sort of strange result, which is that at the end of the day, you know, on average, you're not burning a lot more calories, even if you're a more active person than if you're a more sedentary person. But you should still do the exercise. Those adjustments are really important for health but they, they don't have the metabolism effect that people think. For weight loss. Well, right, because weight loss, eventually, you know, the, what we're not saying here, but let's say it, is that for weight loss, you have to burn more calories than you eat, uh -huh. right? And if exercise isn't changing how many calories you burn every day or it's not changing it much, then um, the, the big lever that you have for, for weight loss is going to be the energy that comes in, your diet. And so right. this is more evidence, you know, people have heard this before, you cannot run a bad diet. Um, you know, th th this is more evidence along those lines um, that says, if you want to worry about your weight, you want to focus on weight, you have to focus on diet. So people see the effects of exercise in the short term and maybe drop weight quicker, but then it kind of levels off eventually. Yeah, that's right. In the, in the period where your body's making those adjustments, that's when we tend to see the weight loss happen because your body hasn't adjusted yet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but, but we've done these, I say we, the, I, not my lab, other labs have done these intervention studies. They, they put people on an exercise program that's going to last a year or it's going to last a year and a half. And you have to come into the lab, you have to come into the, 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 you know, the gym and you have to do the exercise. People watch you. So it's a, it's supervised. Um, and and they track their weight along the way. They track their energy expenditure along the way. And this is some of the strongest evidence, actually, for this constrained energy idea, that this, your idea, the idea that your body adapts. Um, when, you, when you look at those studies, what you find, people's weight changes early on in the first few weeks. And then those weight changes kind of level off and don't change much more after that. 
energy expenditures might change in the first few weeks, but then if you want to check in at a year or you check in at a year and a half, the energy expenditure isn't much different than it was before they started the program. Maybe some, in some studies, it's no different at all. Um, and it's never as high as you'd expect from the, the exercise that's being done. Uh, so, you know, th- this is a consistent finding across a lot of studies and, and just emphasizes that exercise is really important for health, but not the best tool for weight loss. It's interesting because, you know, we see all the, like you've said, um, which one did you just say? Like, oh, you can't outrun a bad diet or abs are made in the kitchen. There's all these kind of little trite yeah, phrases and things. Right. And I know a lot of weight loss supplements and programs will sell a higher or a boosted metabolism through whatever it is they're selling. Um, yeah. So Those is all... there, yeah, all BS, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is there any way then to get a higher or boosted caloric expenditure, I'm thinking like instead of cardio through strength training? That's probably the one way you could consistently get a higher expenditure uh, day to day is by doing the strength training to build muscle mass. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be the most dependable way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should ask the question, which never gets asked. If I have a higher metabolism, does that protect me from weight gain? If I have a slower metabolism, does that doom me to weight gain? And the data there are actually pretty clear too. Uh, It doesn't do what you think it does, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. A higher metabolism doesn't mean you're protected. A slower metabolism doesn't mean you're doomed. Um, And so, again, I think trying to push the energy expenditure piece of this around, uh, it's just you, you could spend your effort in a different way and have such better results and more effective results. I just, I think it's the wrong, we're barking up the wrong tree. Yeah. Nutrition then is where you spend your effort. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Well, so then when you're saying, are you doomed if you have a lower metabolism, I know there's also the idea that when you hit your forties and fifties, your metabolism slows. Mm -hmm. And can you speak to that a little bit? Right. Well, uh, so we just had this study come out. um, That was a surprise to everybody, including to me. Um, uh, I got to lead this effort. That was a, this big international collaboration. It was really fun to do the work. Uh, we, my lab and um, about a half dozen others all pooled their data into this doubly labeled water. That's the technique we use to measure the energy expenditure, this doubly labeled water database. And now we have, because we combine all our data, we have over 6,000 people's measurements in there of energy expenditure from eight years old up to people who are 90, in, in their 90s. Hmm. And we're able to develop the, for the first sort of roadmap of what your metabolism does over a life, right? It's really fun and exciting to see. Um, and we haven't been able to do this before because we haven't had the techniques to do it until the 80s. And then, you know, the data were too hard to get to have big data sets until really recently. So this is super exciting. And um, one thing we we're able to show is that from your 20s to your, to, until you're about 60 years old, your metabolism really doesn't change. It stays really steady. Uh, and it, it, anybody listening now who's who's my age, who's in their 40s, is going, this guy's full of shit. There's no way that's yeah. true. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> excuse my French. Um, but, you know, the uh, and I wouldn't have believed it either. But, you know, data are a wonderful thing because the data don't care what you believe. And um, the, the data are the, the measurement is the measurement. Now, what I'm in my 40s. Um, I don't feel like my body's the same as it was in my 20s. I don't feel 
you know, subjectively, if you'd asked me, is your metabolism the same? I, I no, I, I don't know, but, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. It feels like I have less energy or it feels like I don't, you know, respond to a big meal the same way. Um, and a whole different topic, but you know, even, uh, a glass of wine with dinner affects you differently when you're in your forties versus when you're in your twenties, you know? Right. Um, and so all these things change and it's, those are, those are real. Those, those feelings are real and we can validate the fact that you feel that way. And, and I do too. Um, but those changes are not metabolism. Apparently they're not actually how many calories you're burning. Instead, it's things like hormonal changes, um, could be things like stress and sleep and food environment that change between, you know, your twenties and your forties, uh, and beyond. So anyway, it, th- that's been a real eye opener was to kind of, you know, to get this roadmap and to be the first people to have a chance to look at it. And we were all just sort of shaking our heads. It, it didn't look really like we expected. I can imagine a lot of people when they first read these things, they just get very mad at you. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, I think I would sell a lot more books if people, uh, if I had something easy to tell people. Right. Instead of everything you've believed your entire life is incorrect. And, you know, I'm sorry you've been working out all these years to no avail. And, you know, it seems like awesome for other parts of your health. But that's why, you know, you haven't been able to lose the weight or kind of some hard, hard pills to swallow. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Um but, you know, I also think that there are the, the people who have turned off the nutrition space and the exercise space completely because they've been so frustrated by the promises mm. that never work out. You yeah. Know? Uh, and so I'm talking to those people. Um, right. If you exercised like crazy and didn't see your weight change, um, this is one of the reasons why. And we yeah. should, we should, nobody should have promised you otherwise. <laughs> right. And I'm sorry. And, and here's how you can understand your body better and, and move forward with, uh, with better information. I know you say that exercise is more critical for weight maintenance than yeah, it is for true. weight loss. And mm-hmm. so can you explain that? Yeah. And that's an interesting phenomenon. And, and again, this is all based on the data. There are lots of studies showing this. Um, and the mechanism, sort of how it's affecting your physiology isn't entirely well known. But uh, it seems to be true that when people do lose weight, and you know, again, the best tool for losing weight is diet and changing your diet. But once you've lost that weight and you've gotten to somewhere better and, you, and you're at a stable weight, the best way to keep the weight off, um, well, you've got to keep the dietary changes up. But, but another big key there seems to be adding exercise or, or more exercise to your, your daily routine. Um, and so that's a really important role for exercise that, that, that I, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is important. It seems to be a good way to keep extra, to keep the weight off. I wonder why that is. I mean, do you yeah. think it's just because habit changes and you feel healthier and I don't know, you're just kind of in a different headspace to maintain it long-term and then the daily movement kind of keeps you motivated or? Yeah, it could be. There's a couple possibilities. One is that uh, people who lose weight, um, there, there's some studies showing that your body kind of always remembers the weight it used to be, mm. um, and that your physiology doesn't entirely kind of even out after you lose a lot of weight. I mean, okay, a couple pounds here, there, isn't going to change it, but let's say you lose a lot of weight. That's great for you if you needed to do that. Um, but your body might not be the same, you know, it might not have really the same exact physiology as somebody 
who was at that weight forever and, and didn't lose all that weight. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So people who mm-hmm. both have are at a healthy weight, one of them has always been at a healthy weight. The other one was at an unhealthy weight and then lost a lot of weight. Th- those two people might have different physiologies and, and, and exercise might be playing a different role for that person who's lost a lot of weight. It might be able to, maybe they can increase their expenditures a bit by exercising. Maybe their body responds a bit differently. The other possibility is that exercise helps your brain uh, regulate how hungry and how full you feel. There's some interesting evidence that way too. So I think both both of those probably could be could be true, um, and other and other kind of regulatory effects of exercise as well. Yeah, I know just for myself, if I exercise first thing in the morning, I just kind of feel healthier and better and more energized, and then it just kind of inspires me to eat a salad or, you know, it's not, I don't as much maybe crave a big plate of nachos if I've had a really good workout. Um, but yeah, I'm sure that's brain chemistry and really interesting stuff there, but not necessarily having to do with energy expenditure or metabolism with the weight maintenance. It's probably something else going on. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm in the same boat. I, uh, I love to run and I love to rock climb when I can and, um, and, and do some mountain biking. I just like to be outside mostly. Um, but all the, you know, if, if I can on weeks that I'm able to work that into my schedule and I won't pretend that I'm always able to do it, but, um, I, I try hard <laughs> because I know how good it makes me feel. And I think, you know, um, that positive mental effect, uh, is as important as anything else in, in keeping healthy and, and keeping a healthy relationship with food. Yeah. I know you criticize the TV show, The Biggest Loser, and just the way they go about weight loss on that oh, show. Yeah. And then yeah. a lot of people watch that and then mimic that. And like you're saying, yeah. you're speaking to these people who have felt like nothing has worked year after year after year, predominantly right. relying on exercise. So could you kind of tell what the biggest issues are with that show. And then I guess if you were to create a TV show for weight loss, how you would create it better, (laughs) what should we be doing? (laughs) Well, let's think. Um, The new T I haven't been offered a new TV show before, but I love this. I'm going to call it the biggest winner. Okay. And it's going to be the person who is able to change their life in ways that, that, they're winning and they don't feel like they've given anything else up. Hmm. So they're eating a diet that, you know, that it would be like, you know, this week we're going to try different diets and you're going to try today. It's a, a vegan diet and tomorrow it's a keto diet. And, you know, and, and you're going to find the diet that makes you feel full and happy on, on the fewest calories. And then right. that's what you're going to follow for the rest of the season. And then tomorrow we're going to, you know, next week we're going to try all these different kinds of, of ways to get physically active some of it's going to be structured exercise and some of it's not. And, you know, some of it's going to be a game and some of it's going to be walking your dog and you're going to find out what you love. And then we're going to make you stick with that. And you would just keep on adding all these positive things to people's lives. Mm-hmm. And the person who was able to, um, you know, we measure happiness and the person who's happiest at the end wins. <laughs> I love that. No, I love that. And it's just the key word that keeps coming up for me as you're saying that is just the sustainability of it all Yeah. versus this show where, I mean, I haven't really even watched a full episode, but it just seems yeah, like maybe. so much stress on the body and yeah. kind of mean in some way, kind of coming from the tough love aspect. I don't think there's a whole lot of happiness going through the process. No. And I, I think that's how a lot of people feel. 
yeah. on their weight loss journey. And then shows like that normalize that you should be kind of miserable yeah. and wellness and health should be this thing that kind of brings you down rather than gives you so much life, as you just said. Yeah. You know, isn't it depressing that we think that health and, and healthiness has to be hard work? Yeah. Um, it can feel like hard work because we're surrounded by so many, you know, foods and lifestyle choices, you know, our phones you know, would like us to just stay there glued and not move, you know, and, 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 right. and doom scroll through Twitter. Um, you know, and, and gosh, it's so tempting and so easy. And it, it always sort of feels good. The first bite always feels so good. And, and, you know, next thing you know, you've eaten the whole bag of chips kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's, it's easy to do that. And so it feels hard to be good. And I'm not, you know, I'm not, an, I'm, I'm not a preacher. I'm not an evangelist. I have a hard time too. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I do think that that's where the hope lies. I think the hope lies in finding a lifestyle, finding the choices that, that are healthy for you and that are sustainable for you. And I, I don't come at this as a psychologist. I'm not a psychologist and I'm not a clinician, but I am an anthropologist and I study people and I've studied people around the globe in different contexts. And, um, and I know that we're all more alike than we're different. And mm -hmm. I know that people, the one thing you can predict about people is they will do what's comfortable and what feels easy. Okay. And they won't necessarily make great choices about what is the best thing long-term, but they'll do what feels good and easy right now. And so we have to, to use that to our advantage and, and try to give ourselves food choices and exercise choices that feel good and fun right now. Mm -hmm. You mentioned multiple buzzword diets, if we will call them that, um, but mm. then saying the one that makes you feel happiest and full. Yeah. What do you know about, I mean, so essentially then it's the eating pattern that works for you is the one to stick with. It's not yeah. any of these certain named diets that have magical right. powers. Yeah. I mean, this has been, this has actually been studied. I mean, you'd think that it hadn't been if you, if you yeah. look on like social media and stuff, like it's still a big mystery, but there've been great studies that um, randomly assign people to different diets just to see what happens. Just, you know, let, let's figure out what the best diet is. And this has been done in several studies with big samples. And some people get a plant-based diet. Some people get a Mediterranean diet. It's a mix. Some people get a, you know, a, an Atkins diet. Um, and across the board, no matter what diet you're assigned to, uh, you have an equal likelihood of losing weight and losing the same amount of weight. You know, those groups do the same and it all comes down to how well do you adhere to the diet, whatever diet you're assigned to, if you stick to it, you lose weight. If you don't, you don't. And if you lose the weight, you have other, you know, knock on benefits, your blood sugar levels go down, you know, cholesterol levels improves, uh, you know, all that stuff gets better. And it doesn't matter which diet you picked. Uh, or what we're assigned to, for that matter. It just mattered whether or not you stuck to it and lost weight. Um, and so that means that there is no best diet. And the diet is whatever one you're going to stick to. Um, you know, I, I, I take issue with the kind of ketogenic, paleo, carnivore bro diet stuff, because I think it gets our, you know, so much of it is kind of trying to rewrite our evolutionary history that humans are evolved to be these meat eaters or something like this. Mm -hmm. That drives me crazy because I, I actually work on that area and it's not true. Mm -hmm. um, humans have always eaten a mixed diet, but I have, and, and I, and there's this also this piece of it that says, you know, 
that carbs are evil and sugar is evil and, you know, um, and it's it, the weight gain is all about insulin. It has nothing to do with calories. And that's just silly. That's not how the physiology works. Um, so that makes me crazy. But if you're on a low carb diet and it's working for you, nobody's happier for you than I am. Good right. for you. You know what yeah. I mean? But let's just be honest about how the physiology works. That's all. Yeah. No, that's how I feel. It's just hundred percent. I work with as a nutrition coach outside of this podcast, mostly with people on weight loss. And that's exactly what I feel. Everything you're saying speaks to exactly what I work with my clients on of just let's find what works yeah. for you. Let's make it easy. You should not be miserable. Um, right. yeah. And you know, what can you do long-term and what you can do long-term may be different than what I'm doing long-term, but there's nothing wrong yeah. with that. And I say over and over again, it's really the boring stuff that works and it doesn't right. sell. It's not sexy. It's not the new headline. And yep. so people are always trying to come up with like the next best diet thing or the next best term. And just really, if you ignore all of that and stick to the boring <laughs> basics, then you're going to be happy forever and feeling your best. Um, yeah. What? So aside from your takeaways on energy expenditure from the Hadza, I would be curious to learn what are some of the other lessons we can take away from that hunter-gatherer community? Yeah, well, you know, um, I think that uh, diet and exercise are a big piece of it, right? We can kind of use them as a model for what, you know, how much exercise you ought to try to get. In other words, you should get a lot. <laughs> and okay. what kind of foods you should eat. You know, in other words, if you're eating engineered foods, um, you know, that are produced you know, literally engineered to be overeaten and nothing that you'd ever encounter in the wild, then those probably are going to be more likely to be uh, overconsumed. But beyond that, I think, um, you know, we have so much to learn from groups like the Hadza, uh, these traditional groups that still have, you know, their social networks are intact. They, they live their lives, you know, with, with friends around and with um, relatives around. And, and they're just, you know, they're outside a lot. They don't have the kind of artificial deadline structure of their lives like we do, you know. Um, and so much of that uh, helps them in, in terms of, I think, stress and just, you know, feeling valued and, and uh, all of that contributes to health. And mm -hmm. we know that when you take those things away in the West, you know, in, in, the, in American culture, you take those things away and people get sick. And so I think that's going to be, you know, maybe that's the next place to, to try to focus on with this work. A lot of people like to look to these traditional cultures for clues on how to live healthy. And so much of it has focused on diet and exercise. And that, that's important. But maybe we need to go a little bit broader than that and ask, you know, are we scheduling ourselves to death? Are we separating ourselves from communities that we need to feel part of? To, to be healthy? Are we, are we indoors too much? You know, and, and I think those are the next set of questions to ask. Yeah. So what are some of your next questions about energy expenditure? What are you still looking to answer? Yeah. Well, one thing we're trying to track down is um, exactly how is it that your body adjusts to exercise? If we can kind of look at the, at the, at the cellular level, you know, can we find the, to how the knobs and switches get turned, you know, to, to adjust your body uh, to exercise in, in ways that, that make you healthier. So we have a set, uh, studies lined up to try to do that. We want to understand how our metabolism develops. Um, you know, it, it, it might be that it's hard to change your metabolism much, um, especially as you get into your adulthood. 
But if that's true, then we need to be really careful and thoughtful about children's, you know, children's mm. nutrition, children's development, right? I mean, if it's a kind of all, if the game is kind of won and lost there, uh, then let's focus on that. So we want to understand um, that ontogeny, the, the way that you're sort of born and then developed through childhood and into adolescence, how metabolism shifts and, and, and what pushes that around and, and how it tracks you for adult uh, metabolism and, and health. So those are the two areas we want to focus on, I think, in the next few years. Awesome. Well, so grateful for everything you've shared today. I know this is going to be a top episode. I can already predict that. Uh, I ask each of my guests a final question, which is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Hmm. I think for me, it means uh, getting a, sort of the broader view of life, taking a longer term view of what I need to focus on, what my priorities need to be, and making the hard decision to do the little things that add up to be important, like investing time in my health, to exercise, investing time, making time to spend with my family, mm-hmm. and and not doing the quick, easy things that feel good, like responding to that next email or checking Twitter again, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which can, can almost feel like work. You can tell yourself that it's work. Um, and so it feels righteous to do this work that you know that you better be doing because you're a good you know, citizen or something like that. I don't know. But, uh, and it seems, you know, like, oh, well, I'm going to put off the, the stuff that, um, that actually has longer term payoffs like family and, and health. Yeah. Good reminder. Those, <laughs> those small things that, again, what I talk about with clients is you're not always going to feel motivated to do those yeah. things. And, you know, broccoli probably doesn't taste as great as pizza, but yeah. <laughs> you know, it does, end up kind of the cumulative effect, the way you feel matters so much more than those kind of split second gratifications or whatever, um, long-term, but hard to sometimes, you know, not all of us feel motivated all the time. I would say none of us. So it's a good reminder. No, you're right. That's true. Where can listeners follow and find you? Yeah, well, I hope they'll check out Burn. Um, a lot of this stuff is that we talked about is in, in the book Burn that just came out last March. Um, and so they can check it out there. Uh, if they're interested in learning more about the Hadza community, they can go to uh, Hadza Fund, H-A-D-Z-A-F-U-N-D.org, mm-hmm. and check it out. That's a charity that we've developed with the Hadza uh, in partnership with them to try to give back and, and keep their community strong. Oh, wow. Um, and it's, and, and, you know, online on Twitter, you can find uh, the work that my lab is doing that I'm doing, um, here at Duke as well. Awesome. So Twitter is your main social media outlet. Yeah. I've, I've dabbled in most of them, but Twitter is where I actually spend most of my time. Right. And speaking of staying off your phone more, it's probably good to just stick to one. (laughs) I know it. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing how the time just zips away. Uh, You look at your phone and you're just, yeah. yeah, Really? It really is. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so, so much, Herman. I am so grateful to have had the chance to speak with you today. And I just look forward to staying connected and following your new and upcoming work. Thanks so much. It was a really fun conversation. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. 
On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.